Hey church, Pastor Carlos here. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to John 3, verses 1 through 15. This is the second week in our sermon series called We Believe the Holy Spirit. And here's one takeaway we want you to have as a result of this sermon. The Holy Spirit gives life. Before you experience the sermon, I'd love to lead our church in prayer and liturgy. The first prayer is a prayer from Jonathan Edwards from long ago. The sermon today is about how the Holy Spirit gives life. So just start to focus your heart and your mind on that thought. The Holy Spirit gives life. Breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that our work may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we love what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to delight in all that is holy. Come, Holy Spirit, come to your bright heavenly throne. Come, take possession of our souls and make them all your own. Best gift of God above, the living spring, the living fire, sweet unction, and true love. Church, take a moment and ask our Heavenly Father to begin to strip away from us any and every distraction that interrupts our focus on the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on a Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now is a great time to ask the Holy Spirit to quiet every condemning thought, every crippling feeling of guilt, and to open our hearts to experience the Holy Spirit this morning. Holy Spirit, guide our minds with your blessed light, with love our hearts in flame. Far from us, Drive our hellish foe, true peace unto us bring, and through all perils guide us safe beneath your sacred wing. Through you we know the Father, through you the eternal Son, and you the Spirit of them both, our God, is three in one. All glory to the Father be, and to the risen Son the same to you, O Spirit, while endless ages run. We are prepared to be thrilled by your word, transformed by the preaching, and indwelt by the Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you know it, now is a great time to say the Lord's Prayer with your family. Hey church, Pastor Cole here. Wish you guys were here. The coronavirus is horrible. 
it's awful. We've communicated pretty clearly through Gmail and through Facebook. So I'm not going to hit you with, uh, with even another announcement. So let's pray, and then we're going to think about John 3 together. Heavenly Father, can't, we can't do anything without the Spirit blowing. So I'll pray that you would move in us. I pray that the Spirit would work in us and would cultivate a heart that desires Jesus so that we're at home worshiping Jesus, treasuring Jesus. He's so fascinating. He's so fascinating. This conversation is going to be so mind-blowing. And I pray that we would learn to engage with our whole hearts with the scriptures, that we would see ourselves in the story, that we would see ourselves in the narrative, and that we would see ourselves as utterly just just desperately in need of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I am. I am in need of the Holy Spirit right now. I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want to be one of those preachers who just preaches about the Holy Spirit without the power of the Holy Spirit. So guard me from that. Protect me from that. I'm not the only one who needs the Holy Spirit. I pray that our church would be watching this video, begging for the Holy Spirit to help them listen with the power of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Jesus' precious name that we ask all those things. Amen. So let's start with a, let's start with a scenario to think about. Imagine that you have a cut on your leg. It's not a big deal. It doesn't appear to be a big deal to you. But eventually the cut becomes bothersome enough that you take time out of your day to go visit the doctor. The doctor takes a peek at it and um, leaves the room, take a closer look at it. And then the doctor comes back into the room and you, you, you look at the doctor and you say, hey, I'd love to just grab that bandage, you know, medical grade bandage. Let's wrap this cut up so I can be on my way. Or if there's like a medicine that I need to take to improve it and kind of do away with the infection, that's totally cool. If you got some ointment, Whatever, let's rub some ointment on this leg. I, I just improve the leg and I'll be on my way. And the doctor pauses you. He interrupts you, cuts you off, and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says to you, Son, thank God you came in when you did. The infection is worse than you thought. And if you want to save your life, we cannot improve the leg. We cannot change the leg. There's no medicine that we can administer. There's no bandage that we can put over it. Son, we've got to hack the leg off. We've got to... We've got to amputate the leg. Now, this is the exact conversation that we're going to study in John 3. Of course, it doesn't happen at a, at a doctor's office. It's an ancient world situation. And so here's the situation that we're about to read and study together. In the middle of the night, a first century Jewish Pharisee sneaks out when it's dark and he seeks out this brilliant scandalous first century rabbi because he's got a burning question on his mind. How can I inherit eternal life? And the rabbi is going to say to him, dude, we can't put a band-aid on your life. We can't fix your life. We can't change your life. There's no ointment we can put on your life. There's no medicine that we can administer to the life. We've got to start over. We've got to hack it all off. We've got to amputate it because, dude, you need a new life. It's going to be. I can't wait to study this with you. So if you've got your Bible open, let's look at John 3, and we're going to meet the two characters in our text. John 3, verses 1 through 2. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, period. So, so there's this bro named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Apparently he's a big deal because it even says in the text, John wants you to know that he's a ruler of the Jews. So Pharisee, Pharisees 101. Pharisees were super strict, super moral, they were super religious, and all of their religion would put your religion to shame. That's who we're dealing with right here. So when you think about Nicodemus, think about this bro is serious about religion, man. This dude is serious about God. This dude is like, he's like in first place to inherit heaven. That, that's who we're dealing with when we're thinking about Nicodemus. But here's an interesting question to think about with the text. 
if Nicodemus is so, if he's so religious, then what is Nicodemus doing sneaking around at night? Did you notice that in the text? The gospel writer John apparently wants you to know that this conversation happened when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It's, it's setting the scene for you right now. This is actually important. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of like this sequence of events. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a scene from the movie Footloose, right? Where, where, where Kevin Bacon, he, he waits until it's dark and he, he sneaks out in the middle of the night to, to go to this scandalous dance that the town prohibits, that the town prohibits dancing. And I know that's a super lame, super lame analogy, but you need to understand this because, because Jesus, he, he's, he is the prohibited dance in the ancient world. He's the scandalous dance in the ancient world. Jesus, at this point in time, is not somebody that Jewish mothers like wanted their sons like learning from. Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't a widely accepted moral and spiritual teacher yet. He was, he was provocative and he was new on the scene and he was exploding. He was scandalous. So, so guys, Nicodemus, Nicodemus cannot be seen in the daylight as a ruler of the Jews just having a conversation with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the sort of gossip that would go around town if Nicodemus was seen in daylight just talking with Jesus? All throughout town, you know that the Jewish people would just be like, hey, I heard, I heard Nicodemus was like talking to Jesus. Oh yeah, well like, I heard that, uh, that Nicodemus was thinking about following Jesus. Well, I heard Nicodemus is following Jesus. This is unacceptable for Nicodemus. He, he can't be caught. He would lose he would lose almost everything in his life if he got caught as a result of this conversation with Jesus. He would lose his good standing as a Pharisee. He would lose his religious position as a ruler of the Jews. He would get kicked out of the Pharisee club. He would be publicly shamed, embarrassed, humiliated. So Nicodemus waits until it's dark out, and then he sneaks out when everybody's asleep, to go find Jesus. Guys, this is, this is a huge risk, and I hope that you see this. This is a huge risk from Nicodemus to be taken right now. In, in fact, I, I'd even challenge you by saying Nicodemus is probably taking a bigger risk for Jesus than most of us would be willing to take for Jesus. And when you read, and when you read these first few v- verses like this, you understand that the text is sort of setting you up. It's setting you up to believe that, that Jesus is going to be super impressed with Nicodemus. He's going, to be, he's going to be fawning over Nicodemus, especially the way that Nicodemus starts the conversation. He says to Jesus in verse 2, Rabbi, that's a term of respect, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, period. And then Jesus starts talking. But Nicodemus isn't done talking, by the way. There's a, there's a period after the end of that sentence, but it's not because Nicodemus has finished his thought. right? Nicodemus, he didn't just seek out Jesus in the middle of the night to compliment Jesus. And to say a few nice things to Jesus and say, hey, you're, you're doing a great job. That's not, that's not what drove Nicodemus to chat with Jesus. Jesus just cut Nicodemus off. He doesn't even let Nicodemus get to his question. This is, I mean, this is rude. This is rude social behavior. And if that weren't bad enough, then Jesus says the most imaginably offensive thing that you could say to a Jewish person, let alone a Pharisee. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus answered him, hey, 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 let me stop you right there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, a lot of you, you have heard this verse before, that you must be born again, but you haven't heard this verse. Okay, before, before the verse about being born again is ever a theological statement or ever a doctrinal statement, before it's any of those things, you have got to understand that this is like an ancient insult. Okay, This is an ancient burn because the phrase born again, if you study history, um, specifically around the time of Jesus, it's not, it's not actually original to Jesus. In fact, there's a lot of historical documentation out there that shows us 
that the Jewish people had a well-known phrase about being born again. And so since Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, we can assume that he was super familiar with this sentence. The saying was this, a Gentile who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child born again. (laughs) Do you see how offensive this is to Nicodemus? Nicodemus is, he's super Jew. He's super religious. And Jesus just basically told Nicodemus that he was a Gentile. That he was like a Gentile in the same position as a Gentile, right? I mean, this is mind-blowing to him. He just basically called Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, an outsider to the faith. This is crazy because Nicodemus thinks that he has mastered the faith. But Jesus is over here saying, no, 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 no. You haven't even embraced the faith. So you start to understand that Jesus is speaking in Nicodemus' language and poking at him and kind of cutting at him. And then Nicodemus responds in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Come on. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) This is okay. This is so good. Now, a lot of preachers, a lot of preachers look at this text and they sort of mock Nicodemus and kind of make fun of Nicodemus. And they say, look at, look at Nicodemus, this ancient, prehistoric, um, brainless ape. He, he thinks that Jesus is speaking physically about crawling back up into the, the mother's womb and then coming out. Look at how dumb Nicodemus is. That's not what's going on in the text, okay? And quite, and quite frankly, that's, that's just cowardly preaching. Because what, what that does is it's intended to, to, rather than you engaging within the text, to set you up over and above the text so that you can kind of like look down at Nicodemus and like feel better about yourself and think, well, at least I'm not as dumb as Nicodemus, right? At least I know that Jesus is speaking spiritually, not physically. That's not, what hap- that's not what's happening. Nicodemus is smart. He's smarter than us, guys. He's, he's a Pharisee. He's got the Torah memorized. This dude is bright. This dude is sharp. He's debating Jesus. That's what he does. And, and to be totally honest with you, Nicodemus, underneath all the religious accomplishments, underneath all the religious stuff, Nicodemus is exactly like you. And he's exactly like me. Here's who Nicodemus is. There's this great quote from Jim Carrey. Um, Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. <laughs> That's Nicodemus. He's tried, he's tried everything. He's had everything in life. He's ascended to the top of the religious hierarchy, and he knows there's got to be some, There's not the answer. There's, there's got to be more that, that can't be eternal life. There's got to be more to it. And so just like you, you know that earlier, Nicodemus was laying in bed with a burning question on his mind. He was laying in bed, and he tossed, and he turned, and there was this question in his mind that he couldn't get out of his head. Is Jesus for real? This This dude that I've heard so much about, this up-and-coming rabbi, is he for real? Is he who people think he is? Is he the coming Messiah? Man, there's got to be more to life than this. Does Jesus know what there is? Does Jesus know what there is more to life? Does Jesus know about eternal life? Man, you know that this was eating Nicodemus alive, man. He couldn't couldn't get it out out of his head. There's this voice in Nicodemus' head that won't go away. I've tried everything. I've tried everything to inherit eternal life. Man, I feel like I'm missing something. I want to be a new person, and there's nothing I can do to make this happen. No ritual. There's no religion. There's, there's no accomplishment that I can accomplish that would give me eternal life. I've done it all. What in the heck am I missing? And so he He sneaks out in the middle of the night, desperate. And he seeks out this controversial first century rabbi named Jesus. And when Jesus sees him in the middle of the night, Jesus knows, right? 
he can see he can see it in Nicodemus when he sees Nicodemus. He can see what's inside of man's hearts. He can look in Nicodemus's eyes and he, he can see the, the disparity in his eyes. He can see the desperation. <laughs> Nicodemus is he, he tries to start the conversation out with some, you know, polite introductory marks. Like, Jesus, I, I know that you are a teacher from God because you have done these sort of things. And Jesus just cuts him off, right? And Jesus just cuts him off and says, dude, just, just cut the crap. Right? Just, just cut the polite introductory marks. I know why you're here. I know you're here because you feel like you're missing eternal life. You're missing something. I know that you're here because you've got all of these spiritual accomplishments and you know that they count for nothing. You've built up all this religious credit in your, in your account and you know deep down inside that it all amounts to exactly zero. Nothing. Nada. Squat. Zilch. And he says to Nicodemus, you've, you've got to be born. You've got to be born again. Right? This is, this is a brilliant teacher who has just discovered the one insecurity that Nicodemus has, and Jesus pokes at it. You've got to understand that. You have to understand that. Nicodemus has been poked, and he's a little irritated at best, and he's ticked off at worst. So when Nicodemus says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? It's not a question. It's not a question. It's a declaration of total inability. That's what Nicodemus is saying. Well, you want me to just go up inside my mother's womb and come back out and get Jesus? I can't do it. I've tried it. I've tried everything. What you're telling me to do is impossible. That's what Nicodemus is saying. And when you get that, then you realize that this is exactly, this is exactly where Jesus wants the conversation to be. Exactly. And so Jesus says, well, let me introduce you to somebody. So church, are you ready to think about the Holy Spirit? This is verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I said to you, you, Nicodemus, must be born again because the wind blows where it wishes, Gentiles, Jews, wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is, this is so good. Nicodemus is saying, what you're asking me to do is impossible. And Jesus is saying, you're right. You have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Now, what the heck does that mean? Born of the water and the Spirit. Well, one thing you have to realize is that Jesus isn't teaching something new here. Just a lot of people view the Holy Spirit as like this, um, this character who comes out of nowhere halfway through the book. Like, Kind of like you're watching like a Quentin Tarantino movie and it comes to that twist halfway through. And then it's like, surprise! Now you need the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is all over the New Testament and all over the Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying about being born of water and spirit, it's exactly, it's exactly in line with, it's exactly in sync with the third sentence in your Bible. Literally, if you have a Bible, turn it to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Literally, the first paragraph is teaching what Jesus is teaching. Here's Here's Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. We're, we're looking at God working to bring about the birth of the cosmos out of nothing. And here's what Genesis says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay. So at the birth of the cosmos, what you see are the waters and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Now the waters, let's, let's think about the waters. The waters, if the waters are left to their own devices, then the waters are, they're always going to remain as nothing more than, than chaos. 
right? Primordial soup. Think of primordial soup. Just chaos, kind of nothingness, shapelessness. The Bible says formless and, and void. There's no shape to them. And if God leaves the waters to their own devices, then, then, the, then the waters are never going to produce and generate oxygen. They're, the waters aren't going to generate oxygen so that the oxygen can, can generate um, at, the, at the bottom of the seafloor things like vegetation and life and plants. If the waters are left to their own devices, then the water is never going to be able to generate fish and crabs and sharks in whales, the, if, if, if you could think about the waters, think about helplessness, just void, hopelessness. But the Spirit of God is there. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the faces of the deep, hovering over the waters. And, and Spirit, this is so cool, okay? The word Spirit in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament is ruach. So if you're, if you're a kid at home, that might be a really fun word to say. Make sure you get the part. Say ruach. Now, the word ruach translates to spirit, obviously, but literally it translates to breath. The spirit of God. Is, it's, it's like the breath of God. This is very sophisticated thinking. My, my son just a few days ago, earlier this week, my, my son discovered something amazing in the bathtub. He discovered that he can move the water if he uses his breath in the bathtub. So he, he blew on the water, and what happened? Well, it's amazing. There was this little ripple effect that happened in the water. He could move it, and it, it amazed him. He loved it, so he'd blow in the water and kind of shape it, and there was this ripple that traveled throughout. Now, this is it's just brilliant. You see the breath of God hovering over the waters, and then God speaks in the book of Genesis and says, Let there be light. Now, question, what always, what always accompanies speech? Put, put your hand in front of your face and say, ruach. Or say, say, let there be light. What just happened? You didn't just hear words. You felt breath. Because breath always accompanies words. So when God says, let there be light, his breath or his ruach or his spirit is accompanying those words. And so when you read the book of Genesis, that's what you're seeing. In the book of Genesis, in creation, at the birth of the cosmos, is happening on a large scale exactly what happens when my son blows in the bathtub. It moves it and shapes it. And so God says, let there be light. And his spirit goes out over the face of the deeps and it begins to shape it into ocean and, and sea and lakes and, and streams. God says, let there be light. And God's ruach begins to shape and it goes down to the bottom of the ocean floor and begins to spring forth from the ocean floor. Life and vegetation and God begins to generate inside of the waters. Amazing things like like minnows and sharks and whales and crabs and and eels and all of that amazing stuff God's spirit bringing about the birth of the entire world and so God's spirit moves forth into the creation and just like you see the ripple effect in the water you you see that ripple effect in creation God blows upon the hills and it forms into mountains and ravines and all of this amazing stuff and God's spirit begins to create animals and different various types of animals and then what happens we see the birth of Adam and Eve. We see, we see God in Genesis 2 picking up like, like some dust, right? Or, or, or picking up some, some, some dirt, and then God does what with the dirt? He blows into it. He breathes into it. That's God's ruach. That's his spirit generating Adam and Eve out of nothing. That's, that's amazing, okay? If you had been there, with the sons of God and with the angels, and you had seen that happen, you would have thought, that's a miracle. That's amazing. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, that has to happen in your soul. <laughs> Do you see that? What it means to be born of water and the Spirit? It means that without the Spirit, your soul is like that water. It's just primordial soup. Without, without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, your, your soul is just formless and shapeless and void and, and helpless. 
without the Holy Spirit, your soul can't, it can't generate any, it can't generate any real life or any real joy or any real faith. And it, I don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that your lungs, your lungs work, your blood's circulating, your brain is firing off synapses, but you know what I'm saying. There's no real life. None without the Holy Spirit. It's just formless and void. But to be born again means that God looks upon the helplessness of your soul and he goes, and you're born again. The Holy Spirit moves into you and it, and it generates you and it animates you and it produces new life in you and vegetation and beauty in your soul. And all of a sudden, amazing things that you're not capable of because of the Spirit, through the Spirit, start to spring up from the seafloor of your soul. Things like faith and hope and love. And you see the Holy Spirit wants to do this. And Nicodemus, and you can't blame him, here's Jesus and he says, What? Well, look at the way that Nicodemus says it in the text. This is verse 9 through, fi- 9 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, how can, this, how can this be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, right? These truths about the Holy Spirit, these scriptures that I'm quoting, you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. And if I told you earthly things like this and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, cue in here on verses 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so this is the part in the conversation where Jesus is, as a very good teacher, he's trying to be really, really, really clear about what happens when somebody is born again by the Holy Spirit. And, and what Jesus is teaching you about being born by the Holy Spirit right now is going to be super, super, super helpful for your, for your sanity and your sobriety because there's a lot of Christian traditions and we, and we love them and we're brothers and sisters with them, but there's a lot of Christian traditions out there that teach that to be born again through the Holy Spirit like, means that you're going to be able to like, levitate or do something absolutely insane or something like that. And if you think that's what it means to be born of the Spirit, then you're always going to be questioning your salvation. So listen closely to what Christ says as he explains what exactly, precisely, what exactly the Holy Spirit does when he gives new life to somebody. And since Nicodemus knows his Bible really well, Jesus, he kind of throws him a bone uh, to explain the concept of being born again with a really famous Old Testament story. Look at verse 14. Circle that one or, or start or underline it or something. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Now, pause. This is a very, very, very famous story in the Old Testament. Very famous story in the book of Numbers. Um, if, you've, if you've never read this story in the book of Numbers, I, I so envy you because it's going to melt your face. It's so, it's so mind-blowing. It's, it's an awesome story. Cancel your afternoon plans just to think about this story in the book of Numbers. Directly after the Israelites uh, in the book of Exodus ends and they build the tabernacle, they continue to travel throughout the wilderness. And as they continue to travel throughout the wilderness, you know what happens. They continue to complain and, and moan and grumble about lacking food and lacking water. And so God's just kind of frustrated with them. And he sends, the book of Numbers says, he sends fiery serpents out among them. These fiery serpents, they, they bite the Israelites. And whenever an Israelite is bitten by one of these fiery serpents, they, they die. It's, it's a super serious, it's a serious deal. They, they die. And so there's this pandemic that's happening out in the wilderness. And then the people turn to God and repent. And God says the strangest thing to Moses. I mean, imagine hearing these instructions from God. He says, Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent and I want you to lift it up on a pole. <laughs> okay. And whenever somebody's bitten by one of these fiery serpents, tell them to look at that bronze serpent and it will heal them. Which is like, okay, but it, it happens and it works. So back to Jesus. Halfway through verse 14, Jesus says, Just as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, may have eternal life. <laughs> this is so offensive. Okay, this is, you have to understand how offensive this is. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, one of the religious elites, that he's in the same existential position as the grumbling Israelites out in the wilderness. Nicodemus is in those same shoes. He's just as helpless. He's just as disobedient. He's just as stubborn. And he needs the same medicine as them. Which is like, dude, I'm, what? I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a Pharisee, man. I'm not a grumbling Jew out in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you are. You're poisoned. There's venom in your veins. There's sin in your life. And you're dying. And that's why you're here. And this time around, it's not going to be a bronze serpent that gets lifted up on a stick it's gonna be me that <laughs> it's gonna be me that gets lifted up on the cross. Wow. So this is what it means to be born again. This is what Jesus is teaching us. That's eternal life. To be born again means that the Holy Spirit causes you to look at the crucified Christ and believe. That's what it means to be born again. Our story kind of ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, we don't know what happens to Nicodemus. I mean, who knows, what, <laughs> who knows what happens to Nicodemus? It's like the most irritating part of this text about me. It frustrates me. It drives me crazy. We spent the last 15 verses getting to know Nicodemus. And John, the gospel writer, does, he doesn't even tell us how Nicodemus responds at the end of the conversation. We're just kind of left guessing. Um, you know, like we're left guessing. Like, how, what did Nicodemus think at the end of the conversation? Was was Nicodemus, um, was Nicodemus converted? I mean, it doesn't seem like it. Jesus says, you don't believe in my testimony. So it's probably like more likely that Nicodemus walks away from Jesus, like maybe scratching his head. Maybe. But Jesus has like offended him three or five times. Um, so my guess is that, <laughs> my guess is Nicodemus probably walks away from this conversation flipping Jesus the bird. Right? That's, that's my guess. I can't prove it in the text, but he's probably frustrated. He probably feels hopeless, and he's walking away from Jesus, probably giving him the middle finger. Um, but chapter 3 doesn't tell us. It's like, it's, it feels like bad literature. It's like, really, you're not going to show us like, how this concludes? But I wonder, and it makes you wonder if there's actually an intentional literary design behind omitting Nicodemus's response. Who knows, right? Who knows what ends up happening to Nicodemus? We don't know. But we know about you, so let's deal with you, church. Let, let's talk about you. The essential question of the Holy Spirit, and we see this all throughout chapter 3 of John, the essential question of the Holy Spirit is not, as a result of meeting the Holy Spirit, have you become more well-behaved? That's not the essential question in, in John chapter 3. The essential question of the Holy Spirit is not, have you become more religious as a result of encountering the Spirit? Or has, has your mother finally approved of your behavior after, after encountering the Holy Spirit? That's not the essential question of meeting the Holy Spirit and being born again. And we know this, we know this because Nicodemus is already those things without the Holy Spirit. He's already well-behaved. He's already super religious. His mother is already super proud of him. Nicodemus is all those things and doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So the question of encountering the Holy Spirit cannot be, are you a better person as a result of meeting the Holy Spirit? No. It's, are you a new person as a result of meeting the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Are you a new man? Are you a new woman? Have you been radically born again by the Holy Spirit? That's the essential question. And if you're out there wondering, I don't really know. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what it means to be born again. So, dude, let me just declare over your life, brother, if you believe in Jesus, you're born again, man. You're a new person. Sister, if you believe in Jesus, you're born again. If, if you love Jesus... It's because the Holy Spirit did that in you. Man, you trust Jesus. The Spirit did that. You admire Jesus. The Spirit did that. You want to be like Jesus. The Spirit did that. You have faith in Jesus. The Spirit did that in you. 
You worship Jesus. The Spirit did that in you. The Spirit has generated all of those things out of nothing to give you faith. That's amazing. That's what it means to be born again. And guys, when you think about, well, what's an application for being born again? There, there really aren't any good ones, right? So let me end with two, two notes that are pertinent to the subject of regeneration or just being born again. First, if you're a Christian, you have the rest of your life to thank the Holy Spirit for that. He did that. He caused you to be a Christian. You're, you're not a Christian because of your own willpower, guys. You're, you're not. I mean, the, the analogy that Jesus uses is birth, right? Nobody chooses to be born. There, there are no voting booths in wombs. You did not choose to exist. You did not choose to be born. All you did was come out of your mother's womb, take a deep breath, and ever since that moment, you've been trying to make sense and live into the gracious and loving and amazing decision that your parents made to give birth to you. Your parents did it. No, you can't, you can't birth yourself again. That's what Nicodemus is saying. Jesus did that through the Spirit. The Spirit did that. You're not a Christian because of your own willpower. You're a Christian because of the Spirit's willpower. So I thank him and, and love him. I mean, think about this, right? The likelihood that your spirit could produce faith from faithlessness or the likelihood that your, your soul could produce belief from unbelief, it's the exact same statistical probability of the universe creating everything from nothing. Didn't happen like that. It didn't happen like that in your life. That's not what happened. In both cases, the Holy Spirit looked at primordial soup, nothingness, and went, boom, you were, you were saved. You were born again. That's amazing. And the second note is this. If you're not a Christian, then you have the rest of your life to ask the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. I pray, I pray that you would do that. If you don't trust Jesus and you don't love Jesus and you don't have faith in Jesus, I pray that you would know that you are totally unable to become a Christian. Call out to the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Suppose that that's what Nicodemus did, by the way, after the conversation. Again, we don't know if he left frustrated. All we know is that when Nicodemus meets Jesus, he's stuck. He's stuck he knows there's more to life, and he can't let go of his former life. Following Jesus is too scandalous. He's a rising star in the community, and he, can't, he just can't give that up to follow Jesus. And so part of you looks at, at Nicodemus, and you think, man, if there's anybody who's beyond the new birth, it's totally Nicodemus. Right? There's no way that the Holy Spirit could cause Nicodemus to be born again. There's no way that the Holy Spirit could break through all those obstacles, all of those religious illusions, and cause Nicodemus to become a new person. And it, and it could be that Nicodemus walks away from that conversation angry at Jesus or perplexed. But let's entertain a different thought. Suppose that Nicodemus walked away from that conversation with Jesus, finally um, feeling totally helpless, like a broken man. He's tried everything to inherit eternal life. He's racked up all the accolades, and nothing tastes like eternal life. And when Jesus stands in front of him and tells him that he can't do it, that it has to be of the water and the spirit, suppose that Nicodemus finally col just collapses inward. He's finally at his rope's end. He goes home, throws himself on his bed, and maybe for the first time in his life, Nicodemus cries out to the Holy Spirit and says, Holy Spirit, would you do, do in my life what I can't do? I want eternal life. I want to be born again. In the middle of the night, maybe, maybe Nicodemus did that. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> but we do know that Nicodemus comes back in the Gospel of John. John 3 isn't the end of Nicodemus' story. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. Nicodemus comes back into John's narrative because Jesus' life ends up exactly the way that Jesus predicted it would be. He is lifted up like the bronze serpent, 
by being lifted up on the cross. And once Jesus Christ is publicly crucified and Jesus' corpse is hanging up there on the cross and Jesus's, his body, after his last breath leaves him, Jesus' body kind of slumps on that cross, hanging there. You want to know who shows up to take Jesus' body off the cross? <laughs> Nicodemus shows up. Here's the way that John chapter 19, verse 39 says it. A man in Nicodemus also, Nicodemus who had earlier come to Jesus by night, it's the same Nicodemus, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. <laughs> Almost everybody in Jesus' life bailed on him and abandoned him in his darkest moment, scattered when Jesus was crucified. And who comes back in the story? Who shows up at the cross with linen and aloes? <laughs> Nicodemus. So we don't, we don't know how and we don't know when, but apparently... Nicodemus was born again, <laughs> the least likely bro in the entire universe. Apparently, the Holy Spirit looked upon Nicodemus and his helplessness and went, Whew. apparently the, the wind does blow where it wishes, <laughs> and apparently anybody can be born again. Gosh, I hope you love the Holy Spirit. He is such an amazing invitation to all of us to this morning, man, if you're watching this video and you're just, you're just tired. Man, to everybody out there that just is like Nicodemus and tosses and turns in the middle of the night. To all of us out there who feel hopeless and helpless and we've read all of the self-help books and we can't inherit eternal life. To those of us who have tried to seek it through accomplishments and racking up more and more things. To all of you out there who have you've tried every pill, you've tried every religion, you've found the bottom of every bottle, and you just think, man, I can't change myself. The good news is that Jesus says, yeah, that's right, you can't change yourself. So call out to the one who can. Call out to the one who will transform you. You don't need a Band-Aid. You don't, you don't need a bandage. You don't need ointment. You don't need some small medication. You need a second life, and you can, you can be born again. Call out to Jesus. Call out to the Holy Spirit. It's what they do. So church, we've got a few worship songs for us to sing in response to this at home. I pray that you would just, you know, turn the volume up on these these worship songs and just raise the roof at your home. Sing them out loud with your church and we pray that you would worship Jesus. We love you guys. Let's sing all glory be to Christ together. Should nothing of our efforts stand no legacy survive Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as he is above who is himself our daily bread praise him the lord of love let living water satisfy the thirsty without price 
We'll take a cup of kindness yet All glory be to Christ All glory be to Christ our King All glory be to Christ His rule and reign will ever sing All glory be to Christ Day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be All glory be to Christ All glory All glory be to Christ our King All glory be to Christ His rule and reign will ever sing All glory be to Christ Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Son and soul.